Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's get into some Phillies talk, shall we? Vince Quinn here on 94 WIP. I'm joined by John Stolness, who is a writer with Number Fire, The Good Fight. He's got the Felsky Files podcast, and you can find him at Felsky Files on Twitter. John, welcome to the show. Vince, thanks for having me, man. How are you? Hey, uh, I'm a lot better recently, i got to tell you. It's been... uh, It, it's been a good couple of weeks, and so let's talk about the man of the hour, uh, the man of the month. So how good is Reese Hoskins? Man, I've been talking him up all season because I really felt like he was going to be a really good major league hitter. Now, I mean, like everyone, I didn't see nine home runs in his first 16 games or anything like that, but throughout his minor league career, and we saw it this year, he's a guy who had great plate discipline. You, you saw that he was a guy who not only just knew how to work walks and avoid strikeouts, but knew how to manipulate the count. He knew what to do when he was down 0-2 in the count. He knew what to do when he was ahead 3-1 in the count. And for so many of the guys at the major league level, you see that they still struggle with that sort of thing. Michael Franco is a prime example of that. And with Reese Hoskins, you see a, I see a hitter who's just really relaxed. You know, No matter what the count is, he seems to have an idea of what he's doing. I mean, that doesn't mean he doesn't strike out. He does. And he, he, you know, he does make out. <laughs> you know, they're not coming all that often right now, but the reason I feel like he is going to be a really good major league hitter is because, you know, this power surge isn't going to be here forever, but the plate discipline isn't going to go away. And the fact that he knows what he's doing, that he's a professional hitter, probably the most professional hitter in the lineup right now, means I think that he's ha- he has staying power. He's going to be a really good major leaguer for a long time, I think. Well, here's the thing, John. So, you know, you work uh, with me and the other guys at Bleeding Green Nation as well. And so there's a lot of conversation about Carson Wentz. And one of his best qualities is his poise. When you see that he gets hit in the pocket or maybe he stumbles when he takes a snap, he usually recovers. He's very calm about it, and he makes the play. And for Hoskins, is it that same kind of just innate um, calmness? Like, what, what is it with the approach? Yeah, it is a calmness. I think it's just when you have a knowledge of the strike zone, when you know what's a strike and what's a ball, and I think Reese has an ability to see what's coming out of the pitcher's hand maybe a little bit quicker than than a lot of hitters because it doesn't seem like he's as anxious to chase uh, an 0-2 slider out of the strike zone. It doesn't seem as though you know he's really vulnerable to any spot inside the zone. And pitchers are going to make adjustments, and we'll see exactly you know what Reese what Reese's weaknesses are. But I think it's just when you know what's coming, when you know that you can tell a ball from a strike, and when you know what the strike zone is so that you don't have to expand. When you know, when you're ahead in the count 3-1, and one, that you can look for a pitch in a certain location, and if it's not coming there, you have, you have the, uh, the patience inside you to, to spit on it and to be, to be willing to hit with two strikes. I think that just makes you a calm hitter at the plate. You're not, you're not anxious. You're not trying to do too much. And, you know, Reese has avoided uh, the rookie problem of trying to do too much at the plate to make something happen. He's kind of letting, letting things come to him and, you know, that just, it, it all comes from being calm up there. And 
yeah, I think, you know, if you can compare it to Carson Wentz, Wentz, Wentz is able to, to fully, you know, he, he's got it, I think, a lot more of that for, than a lot of other second-year you know, second quarterbacks. But when he's able to even incorporate that even more, you're going to see an even more devastatingly good player. And that's, that's what Reese Hoskins has right now. Yeah, he, he certainly does. Now, here's the other thing with Hoskins. The, the biggest controversy around the guy is about – the Phillies, and when they decided to finally call him up. Uh, what do you think with the Phillies and how they handled that? I think they should – well, they could have brought him up a month sooner. I mean, he was ready to go by the All-Star break. But, I mean, they really did want to see – you know, there was really nothing you, – you couldn't bring him up until you knew what you were going to do with Tommy Joseph. And they tried to trade Tommy Joseph throughout July. And at the time, the Phillies didn't think that Reese Hoskins could play left field. We're seeing now that he's okay out there. You know, he's not going to embarrass you. He's not hurting the team by being out there in left field. I wish they'd started that in the minors a month sooner and given that a try. But they didn't. And, you know, when Aaron Altair, it wouldn't have really mattered anyway because Aaron Altair was in the lineup at the time. But there really was no place for him at the major league level. I would have been fine with, on August 1st, them just kind of putting Joseph on the bench and bringing Hoskins up at then you're just talking about a difference of, like, what, a week and a half? Because Hoskins came up in, in early August. He's been up for about two and a half weeks now. So, again, you couldn't really bring Reese up until you knew what was, you were going to do with, with Tommy Joseph at the trade deadline. And that all had to work itself out, and they weren't able to move him. And that's when they decided to try Hoskins in left field. And when they saw that that worked and Altair got injured, they had their opportunity. But there just wasn't a place for Hoskins, and they weren't going to just kick Joseph to the curb but, you know, without trying to figure out whether or not they could move him someplace else. And so it was really it was a logjam. It was an unfortunate logjam, and it was unfortunate that a lesser player was playing that spot. Um, but I, there really wasn't a whole lot else the Phillies could do until August 1st rolled around. Well, now that we've gotten past August 1st and Hoskins is up here, what we've seen recently is a power surge from the Phillies. Now, is that coincidental that Hoskins is batting fourth and suddenly the team's putting up all these runs or, or is it his impact? What are we seeing here? I don't, I mean, we've seen Tommy Joseph have hot months before. He was blistering hot throughout the entire month of May. Um, he had a pretty good July. He wasn't as hot in July. We've seen Tommy Joseph get into some hot streaks. I don't think it necessarily has a whole lot to do with Reese Hoskins and Nick Williams being up. I think Tommy Joseph is just seeing the ball well right now. Uh, and we've seen we've seen hot Tommy Joseph before, and I think that's just what it is. I don't. I'm not a big believer in lineup protection. I do think that, you know, if there are guys on base in front of a hitter, a hitter is going to see more pitches to hit. But I don't necessarily think that you know, pitchers are saying, okay, well, let's give Tommy Joseph more stuff to hit because Reese Hoskins is in there. I just think Tommy Joseph is taking adv- advantage of mistake pitches in a way that he wasn't in in previous months, except with the exception of May and. You know, I think that's really all it is. Joseph can get hot. He has this kind of ability to, to, to go on these kind of streaks for two, three, four weeks at a time. And I think that's just what we're seeing from him right now. I don't think it's really a whole lot more than that. Now, I'm looking around at the team, right? So you've got Hoskins in the outfield at the moment. You've got Altair. You've got Williams. You've got Herrera, who's been on the DL and should be back soon. So I see all of this talent in the outfield, and I see Tommy Joseph at first base how does this play out next year? What's the starting lineup for the Phillies' first game of the year? Well, I think Tommy Joseph is someplace else. Either that or he's on the bench. Reese Hoskins is going to be the first baseman next year. Um, and as far as the outfield goes, unless they trade for something, unless they are able to swing a trade for Giancarlo Stanton and Christian Yelich, 
And if they do that, I believe a lot of the outfielders that we're thinking of, that are part of a logjam will be part of that deal. But my sense is that I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I don't think they're going to trade for Stanton or Yelich. And I think they're going to go into the season with Altair and left, uh, Odubel Herrera in center, and Nick Williams in right, and have Reese Hoskins at first base. I think it's going to be an extraordinarily young ball club next year with Hoskins at first. I think Kingery's going to be at second, Crawford at third, and Franco, uh, sorry, Crawford at shortstop. And Franco at third, uh, and Alfaro at behind the plate. It's going to be, it's going to be very iron piggish, I think, in 2018. <laughs> um, you know, I just I don't see them making a big, big move like that. And frankly, if I'm going to give up some of these young outfielders, I'd rather them use them for some pitching uh, because we see that's where this team really has a, a shortcoming right now. They don't need position player help. You know, if they're going to trade. Some of these young guys, if they're going to move a Nick Williams or an Odubel Herrera, I'd, I'd rather see them go after a, a Garrett Cole or a Michael Fulmer or something like that and not necessarily a, a Stanton or a Yelich. If they got Stanton in the offseason, would I be thrilled? Of course. But, you know, I don't think that's the most likely scenario right now. So what do you do about the pitching staff at this point? Because as you've seen, all these guys keep coming up, and now with all these injuries, each day it's like to be determined. So how do you handle this pitching staff? What does it look like going forward? You know, it, it just seems like a mess. It is a mess. I mean, you have Aaron Nola and Jared Eikhoff are guaranteed rotation spots for next year. The Phillies seem intent on putting Vince Velasquez back in the rotation next year. And given the fact that they really are short on starting pitching, I guess I can't argue with that. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that Velasquez is going to work out as a starter. I think he probably is a closer. Um, but I, I, I guess I really can't fault them for putting him in the starting rotation at the start of next season for lack of other options. I mean, Nick Pavetta has pretty good stuff, but he gets hit around a ton and doesn't seem to know what to do with it right now. He's getting blistered at the major league level. Uh, ben Lively has, has a lack of stuff, but seems to do the best out of uh, these guys from AAA who have come up. Zach Eflin has shown flashes, but he can't stay healthy. Jake Thompson has been a disaster since coming over from Texas. Uh, and then you've got Mark Leiter Jr., who, you know, has journeyman written all over him. He's had a couple of nice outings with the Phillies, but I'm not thinking that he's a, a big part of the future. And so are the Phillies able to convince somebody like Lance Lynn to sign a free agent contract with them next season? Do they swing a trade for a Michael Fulmer or a Garrett Cole or a Chris Archer if the Rays make him available? And if so, what do you have to give up to make that happen? I think if they're going to make a drastic improvement to the pitching staff, it's going to have to be a trade for a young, controllable arm like that, or you go out and you get a Lance Lynn. I don't see them signing you Darvish or being in the Jake Arrieta business. It's not, it's not what they have said that they want to do. To, to rebuild the team. And so I, I think with Lynn, you can sign him to a, a, a three- or four-year deal um, for about half the price of what it would cost you to get you Darvish or something like that. And, um, and then maybe you just keep trying to, to plug these AAA guys and see if any of them are able to figure it out because they are all still really, really young. Now, going back to the current team, so one of the interesting storylines here, and it's kind of gotten eaten up by the Reese Hoskins mania, but... J.P. Crawford is taking ground balls at third base. And by the way, this is uh, <laughs> we, and I'm speaking with John Stolness of Number Fire, The Good Fight, and the Felsky Files podcast. So, John, what are we seeing here? Like, how does this play out with Crawford? I think this Crawford thing is, is just to get him in the majors this year for September. I don't think this is anything long-term. Uh, I, I think this is just in order to get him some at-bats because they want to play Freddie Galvis, all 162. That's something that they told Freddie that they would try to do. Freddie has been with the team longer than any other player. 
Um, there's a very strong possibility he will not be here next year. They'll, they're likely to move him in the offseason, I think, or they're likely to make him a super utility guy next year. But I think that with Crawford's hot streak here over the last uh, six weeks or so in AAA, that has, that has let us let everyone believe that all of the hype surrounding J.P. Crawford over the last couple of years was real, was legitimate. He's figured it out. He is going to be this team starting shortstop starting in 2018. And so I think they want to give Crawford the opportunity. I mean, they want to give Galvis the opportunity to play all 162. And if Galvis is going to play all 162 at short, then you can have Crawford ready to play some games at third base. Maybe take half of the half of the plate appearances away from Michael, Fra- Michael uh, Franco here in the uh, last month of the season or so. I don't think it's a long-term thing. You know, it also is just good to see if these guys can do it, if Kingery can play shortstop and third base, if Crawford can play third base and second base, if you see that these guys are good enough athletes to at least fake it there for a week or two at a time, just increases your flexibility. It lets you know that you can make some moves in the offseason. You can move some guys around, and you're not going to be stuck at any of these positions. So I really don't think it's a whole lot more than that. I wouldn't read too much into it as far as Michael Franco's future is concerned because I, I don't think the Phillies are going to jettison Michael Franco in the offseason. They wouldn't be able to get anything really good in a trade for him anyway, and there's nobody pushing him in the minors. You know, it doesn't seem like they're looking to move you know, away from Franco just yet. And this, this Crawford at third base thing seems like just a way to get him up to, to play in September a little bit. Okay, well, should they move away from Franco? Well, I mean, unless if you want to make uh, Crawford your full-time third baseman um, until, you know, for all of 2018, until, you know, Manny Machado or Josh Donaldson become available as free agents. And there's no guarantee you get either of those guys if you want to go after them. Um, you know, they could... They could be creative this offseason, and maybe they could trade for, you know, like the Reds' Eugenio Suarez is a, is a guy who can play multiple different positions, having a terrific season for the Reds. You'd have to give up a lot in a trade for him, but he could be your everyday third baseman if you're willing to, to, to make that kind of a move. You could sign Mike Moustakis this offseason, but then you're basically saying, okay, we're punting on Machado and Donaldson after the 2018 season. The cleanest option is probably just to continue to let Franco play at third base and give him the 2018 season. Either way, I think long-term, they've already moved on from Franco, whether they let him play next year or not. Um, you know, he certainly doesn't seem like he's the long-term solution because he's just not, he, he's not figuring things out. He's not making the adjustments. And so I would not be upset if they moved away from Franco. Um, some of the options, there are some alternatives there. You could play Crawford at third base all next year and have Galvis be your shortstop and then move on at, for 2019. But my guess is they don't just want to kick Franco to the curb. And I don't really just want to kick him to the curb either because there is some talent there. You have some time. You know, you can put him at third base next season without – you know, really losing anything. You're not fighting for a playoff spot next season. So, you know, I would probably just roll with Franco for next year unless they're able to swing a deal for like a Suarez or something like that. All right, so last question for you, Mr. John Stolness, and this is a very important one, so you got to really think about your answer long and hard. Okay. What do you think of the nickname uniforms? Some of them are okay. Overall, I like that baseball is doing this because we've been talking about, you know, for a couple of seasons now, how 
Major League Baseball players just don't have any personality. You know, we look at, you know, Cam Newton with the dabbing and, you know, the celebrations that go on on football fields. And, you know, we see what kind of a megastar Joel Embiid is, mostly because, you know, how good he is on the court, but also his Instagram. Um, you know, we see him everywhere. We see NFL and NBA players everywhere. And baseball players, you know, they, they keep their, their code is that they keep their head down. You don't show up the other guy. You don't celebrate too much on the field. And it's seen by a lot of young people as boring. This is an opportunity. It's a small way for players to show a little bit of their personality. And so I kind of like the nicknames on, on the back of the jerseys for a weekend. As long as it's not all season, you know, for one weekend, it's something fun to talk about. Now, the announcers could do a better job of not bashing everyone over the head with it and basically smothering us with it. You know, a lighter touch is probably uh, the, the, the best way to go about it, you know, as far as the broadcast is concerned. But I like A.A. Ron. You know, I like <laughs> yeah. You know, I like Corey's brother. You know, I like uh, the Silver Fox, which is Utley's jersey. I think, I think all that stuff is great. You know, let's, it, it gives the announcers an opportunity to talk about the players in a way that the fans maybe don't know about. Where do these nicknames come from? You know, why is, why is Cameron Ruff's nickname Turkey in Spanish? You know, I mean, it's just it, it's, it's something different for, you know, for us to, to talk about and, and learn a little bit more about these players who most of the time are just kind of are just kind of faceless, nameless players that we don't know a whole lot about, and that's the big problem with baseball is that there's just a lack of personality in the sport right now. Hey, well, you're a great personality covering it, Mr. John Stolness. You can find him with Number Fire, The Good Fight, and his podcast, The Felsky Files. He's at Felsky Files on Twitter. John, thanks for hopping in for a bit. Vince, thanks anytime, man. Hey, absolutely. Well, 888-729-9494, pound 9494 if you want to jump in on the phones. More conversation up ahead. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.